Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am so glad to be here with you today. I hope your day's been going well. We here in the greater Twin Cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul are going to be getting wet this afternoon, but hey, it's uh, still a beautiful fall day. I love the rain. I love all the seasons except winter. There, I said it. I'm looking forward to an hour with Dr. Glenn Pickering and his talk today, what we're going to discuss today is entitled Choosing Forgiveness. I wanted to have a pause there between those two words. Choosing forgiveness. And there are obstacles to forgiveness. We're going to talk about that today. And if you are having trouble forgiving somebody, maybe it's yourself. Um, We're going to talk about ways to get around some of the thinking that you might be having. Some of it's going to be wrong, and we're going to try to make it right. That's the plan for today. Dr. Glenn Pickering is... Uh, not only an author and speaker and counselor and uh, seminar leader, he is uh, kind of a mixture of a lot of disciplines. He's an engineer, he's a pastor, he's a PhD psychologist. You blend that all together and you get uh, quite a recipe, quite an amazing uh, mind. So we're glad to have Glenn back on the show. Glenn, welcome. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. All right, let's get talking about the obstacles to forgiveness. Right. That's great. Thank you. And I wanted to start there, partly because you're right, that forgiveness is a thing we choose, whether we understand that or not. So hopefully that'll be more clear as we go along. But also because people say, well, Glenn, what do I need to do to forgive somebody? And I'm glad to kind of walk them through that process. And we will do that before we get done today. But first we have to ask, what's gotten in the way of doing that for you so far? Because if you are not choosing it, I could teach you the steps of doing forgiveness. But if you haven't actually chosen it for one of the three reasons they're going to talk about, you still won't do them. Mm. Even if I know the steps, I won't do the steps because I haven't actually chosen to be forgiving. So we want to talk about the obstacles first, and then we'll talk about how to do forgiveness. Well, if you're not forgiving, might it be because you can be busy nurturing a grudge? (laughs) I think about that one all the time. In fact, (laughs) I read this little pamphlet. Uh, Gwen's mom was getting surgery for a lung cancer the first time. And it was at Mayo. I was sitting in one of the little chapels there with these really, really hard wooden pews. And, you know, it was going to be a few hours, so there were some pamphlets there. And I started reading the first one. It was right by this Catholic nun. And it said, forgiveness is a gift we give to ourselves. And I, honestly, I thought, what kind of crazy psychobabble is that? It just sounded crazy to me, to be honest. And I kind of put it down. But honestly, I had hours, hard pew seat, nothing to do. I thought, okay, okay, I'm going to read it. (laughs) Out of self-defense against boredom, mostly really, to be totally honest. But by the time I got done reading it, I thought, oh, she really has a point. And she was the one who really first helped me start thinking about unforgiveness as nursing a grudge. And she talked about how if you nurse something, what does that mean? You take real good care of it. You help it grow and get better. You You keep it alive. You protect it, Mm -hmm. right? Thank you very much. You make sure it's okay. But see, if I have a grudge... And I'm nursing that grudge. That's what I keep doing. I keep reminding myself why I'm right, 
I'm, it's only right that I'm so mad at them. They really are a bad person. And I, I literally nurse that grudge. Like I literally keep that grudge alive by the way that I think, the way that I talk to other people about that person. I do all kinds of things to like, prove to myself that somehow, see, I'm better than that. Now, that's a real tricky thought. A little arrogant, too, isn't it? Uh, except for the little part, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. I think about this now a lot. Our ego thinks I'm only good if I can prove that I'm better than you. That every positive statement is comparative. And so our little ego is always trying to busy trying to prove that I'm better than somebody or that I deserve something or whatever. And um, whereas our spirit understands no... A parent loves a little child when the little child can't do anything, except can't even feed itself, but you still have this powerful love for them. Same way God has this powerful love for us. It doesn't have anything to do with what we're doing. It's just a beautiful, powerful, total gift. And I think about this now. It kind of came to me the other day. At the moment of our justification, the moment we start in our faith and really accept Christ, is the moment that at least just for a second, our spirit is stronger than our ego. That we finally get just for a second that really is a gift. It's just my job to accept the gift. I can quit trying to prove myself or earn it or make myself better than somebody else and just accept this amazing gift that's been given to me. Um, so our ego says, I'm precious because I did dot, dot, dot. And God says to me, you're precious. And that's the end of the sentence. So our ego, though, always wants us to be sort of better than somebody somehow. So. When we say in our wrong thinking, well, I don't, deserve, I don't forgive them because they don't deserve it because I'm really, really working hard at nursing that grudge. It's like, uh-huh, I'm really trying to prove to myself something that I don't need to prove to myself. But let's say they've done something really, really bad, and, <laughs> and that really, really hurts. And they really, really might have. Um, and I really, really get that. <laughs> People think you're really, really funny. I don't get it. Well, I don't All know. Right, so, um, this is anyway, really, really interesting. <laughs> Oh, Bill is this wicked funny. That's the truth. Okay, so, um, yeah, and sometimes people have, oop, sometimes people have really hurt us. Um, so I don't know, um, how can I say? It's not that they haven't hurt us. It's that I could decide that I want to keep that going, which is really, really, really not helpful, um, because I kind of like thinking somehow I'm better than that. But, you know, when it says in Luke 6 that, um, you know, we are not to judge one another, and that we will be forgiven to the extent that we forgive. We need to understand it's not comparative. Therefore, I don't lose something by choosing to forgive somebody else. It's not like that somehow demeans me or makes me less or somehow now I'm not better than them because it's not comparative. So when people say, well, they don't deserve it, sort of making themselves God, like they're deciding that somebody else doesn't deserve something. And so I think there are two reasons why that's a really bad thought. A, we're not God. So it doesn't make sense. It's not our job to judge, as it says in Luke 6. Um, and, um, and I love this part in Romans 2 where Paul says, why do you condemn others? Why do you pass judgment? Because when you do that, you condemn yourselves who are doing exactly the same thing. And you're committing the same sin. 
And it's so easy for us to look at somebody else who's been hurtful to us and think, well, I would never do that. See, but Paul doesn't say you're judging somebody even though you've committed exactly the same behavior. He says you're condemning yourself because you've committed exactly the same sin. And here's what I mean. Like, let's say somebody commits a sin of being unloving towards one of their brothers or sisters. Okay. Well, whether they're unloving because there was a financial transaction and they kept more than their fair share of the money, or um, that they were really harsh with another person when they spoke to them, or that they got kind of all caught up in themselves and got real self-centered there for a minute, or they spoke to somebody else in a really condescending sort of way, we need to understand those are all the same sin. We treated somebody else in an unloving manner. So the overall exact behavior might be different, but the sin is exactly the same. So when Paul says, if you judge your brother or sister, you condemn yourself for you've committed the same sin, he's not saying you've necessarily done exactly the same behavior. He's saying you've committed exactly the same sin. You've been hurtful to another person in a way that had that same effect on them as this behavior that you're upset about. And we need to understand that's true. So it's not that other people haven't been hurtful to us. I can give you a pretty long list of the people who have been hurtful to me. But I also understand, and and I've been thoughtless, and I've been self-centered, and I've gotten caught up in stuff, and I've said things I shouldn't have said, and I, that's also true. And so when we look at somebody else and they well, they don't deserve it, basically we're saying, because I'm better than that, I would never do that. And Paul is just trying to say, no, A, you're not God. B, that thought is not even the right thought. You've also been really hurtful to other people, so we need to kind of get off that prideful, arrogant spot that you were just talking about a minute ago, Bill. And just understand, we've all sinned in pretty much the same way in terms of the impact they had on another human being. So, some of the obstacles to forgiveness, Yep. and here's some of the wrong thinking. Right, so, they don't deserve it, right? and I might be better off nurturing my grudge. Exactly. Yeah. And if that's Not our, ready to let it go yet. We got a little comfort zone going there, because we kind of like telling ourselves that somehow we wouldn't do that, or better than that. We would never do such a thing and trying to convince ourselves and all the people around us that somehow we really are better than that. They don't deserve it. In other words, they are not as good as I am. And it's really, really important to understand that it's a crazy thought. Some of that sounds like survival too, Glenn. Oh, yeah. You're trying to survive. Right. And if I don't say that I'm a little bit better than they were in that particular circumstance, right? then then what? Right. Yep. And I think that then what is... Um, Mm, how can I say? Well, sometimes people, when they say, well, somebody played tag with me and they attacked me, so I had to defend myself. And I think, no, you didn't. That's why Jesus talked about turning your left cheek and then your right cheek. It's like, hey, Glenn, I think you're really stupid. Hmm? All right. I mean, I get it, I'm not. I don't, I don't even have to bother going there. There's no point to it. And so we just need to understand that just because somebody else behaves in a certain way doesn't mean I have to get pulled into it or defend myself or explain myself or justify myself because I just have to keep coming back to that thing we talked about last time I was here. We've already been justified. And so I degrade myself when I act like I need to be justified because I don't. All right. I think I'll take a short break here. Dr. Right. Glenn Pickering is my guest. You can go to drglennpickering.com. That's Glenn with two N's. And at his website, under the About tab, you can uh, scroll down to Media, and you'll see the notes for October 20th, 2021, which is our outline today. If you want to go check out his notes, 
They will be available right now. They're there as we speak. We'll take a break. Be right back. soothing music that we are playing uh, as we're talking about choosing forgiveness. I like it. Doesn't hurt, does it, Glenn? I'm liking that. Soothing music. Soothing music. And it actually reminds me of the other thing I want to talk about, about that we've talked about the first obstacle to forgiveness, which is, you know, our wrong thinking. And the second part of that wrong thinking when we say, well, they don't deserve it, is we think, oh, that's the reason I'd forgive somebody. But let's be clear. If somebody deserves it, they don't need forgiveness. Say that again, Dr. Glenn Pickering. I, I don't so know will. if I understand that. I, lo- I want to be more and more like Jesus. Say okay. short, cryptic things and then, you know, leave town. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> what did he mean by that? Yeah. Um, I just mean this. Let's say there's somebody who's been hurtful, but they learned their lesson, they've repented, they're really now leading a stellar sort of life. Well, what's there to forgive? Mm, okay. It's precisely because they're still doing it that... <laughs> Probably we need to work on our forgiveness and let go of all the hurt and resentment we have about them. And so I just really get this. We don't forgive somebody because they deserve it, because we're not God. We don't decide that. But also for this reason, we forgive somebody because we don't want to carry that baggage around any longer. Because when I'm nursing that grudge, I just keep reminding myself, well, I'm so right to be mad, so right to be upset, they're terrible, etc., etc. And I cause myself so much turmoil in that process. When Jesus comes back after his resu- um, resurrection, he says to his disciples, my peace I give to you. And then right after that, he talks to them about forgiveness. And I think, right, see, we can't be at peace if we're holding on to a grudge. It's the opposite of being at peace. In fact, it will always keep us in a, in a very different state of being agitated, turmoil, frustrated, a lot of adrenaline going through our system, certainly not at peace. Whereas if I really choose to forgive, to really truly let that go, not because they deserve it, because they might or they might not. It's not up to me to decide that. But because I want to be at peace. And peace comes from my willingness to forgive others. As I would ask that they forgive me, just like Jesus says in a Lord's Prayer, which we'll talk about more in just a few minutes. But it's really important to understand. I can't be at peace. I can't accept the very fundamental gift Jesus tries to give his disciples. He comes back and says, my peace I give to you. We can't accept that gift if we're in a state of unforgiveness. Because the very next thing he talks to them about is forgiveness, what it takes to forgive and how to forgive. And I think, right, because I can't be at peace and be nursing that grudge. I can't do them both. So if I want to accept Jesus as fundamental gift of being at peace, I need to understand, okay, that's going to involve forgiving whoever I'm holding a grudge against. Mm-hmm. Not because they deserve it, because I want to be at peace. And it's Jesus is the greatest gift. Glenn, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing with this forgiveness principle. <laughs> I'm thinking you're right about that. Because you, you do it to free yourself of turmoil in addition right. to being in a right relationship with right. another one of God's exactly. yep. beloved 
uh, and even if they're outside of God's family, you're even showing a greater yep. uh, demonstration of God's love right. if people don't understand right. the that's, power of God's love. That's what I think, too. And so we're a great role model for others to the extent that we do forgive and a really poor witness to the extent that we don't. Because if we're preaching about a God who loves us exactly as we are, well, we're real busy not forgiving the people in our life for their flaws. Well, see, it undermines the message. So if we actually want to be preaching to people about a God who loves us no matter what all the time, powerfully and steadfastly, we need to model that behavior ourselves to the best of our ability. And so we need to understand, yeah, forgiveness is a gift we give to ourselves, like that nun said. But it's also a commandment to us to be at peace, to let go of all those things that have hurt us so that we can be at peace because that's the only way we can be a witness in the way that we'd really want to be a witness. Mm -hmm. So I know TAG is probably involved in this process. (laughs) And let's talk more about TAG. Just remind everyone about the uh, game of TAG that we have a tendency of playing, which is very counterproductive. Yes, TAG is a game we play when there's a conflict or an upset of any sort. And instead of figuring that out as a team, we just want to decide who's at fault, who's to blame. And when people um, ask me, Glenn, did you come up with that game? I read them this little passage where <laughs> God, says to, God says to Adam, why would you eat the apple? And Adam says, well, the woman, you know, that you gave me <laughs> told me that I should eat the apple. We've been playing that blame game from the absolute beginning. So if I'm playing tag, see, it's real convenient if somebody else is permanently in it. So some people, when I, they say, Glenn, I have a hard time forgiving. I think, uh-huh, because it's real easy to always be the one that's not it. I keep reminding you why you're it. And just once in a while, I keep reminding you of this terrible thing you did back in 1977. <laughs> just as my way of making sure. Because in the game of tag, the only way for me not to be it is to make sure that you are it. And so there's this whole process of always wanting to blame other people, have somebody else to be the bad one so that I'm not the bad one. And again... It so undermines our witness that we are precious as we are if I have to go around proving that I'm not the bad one. I mean, that is such a worldly game in in the most literal sense. So if I let myself get pulled into that, I need to understand again, it so undermines in a really powerful way any witnessing I'm trying to do to other people about my faith and my God. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to one of the principles of TAG. And this is always a little troubling for some. And... You say everything is 50-50, right. and, and that's troubling to some because I hear about it from listeners that say, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, my husband gambled the family fortune away, and he had 31 affairs. How is it 50-50? Um, yep. You yourself have committed the same sin. That's what Paul says, so I don't know what to make of that. No, I'm just kidding. I, um, I oh, think, what a relief. No, I um, I actually started, just did my first in-person three-day seminar last this last weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was amazing. And I started off with 50-50 because I really understand, until we get that, I can't understand any other Christian principle. And I'm going to say that to you again because it's so important. Until I get that everything that happens is 50-50, I cannot understand any Christian principle. Can you so, say more? Yes. Thank you. Um, here's what I think. If I look at you and I think all of our problems are your fault, if you just get it together, I'd be fine. Um, I'm not loving my neighbor as myself. I'm standing in judgment, which we just heard that we're not supposed to judge. I'm in turmoil constantly because I'm making you rich and I'm not at peace. And nothing people talk to me about about being at peace will make sense to me. I'm going to 
people going to talk to me about prayer. But see, I'm not actually going to be open to prayer either because I don't want to hear God's words about things I need to do because I'm real comfortable blaming somebody else. I'm even not going to, um, how can I say? When Jesus says in Luke 9, nobody puts their hand in the plow and looks backwards as fit for the kingdom. I think, right, if I just keep thinking about all the terrible things that are happening to me back there, then the fact that God is inviting me forward into an amazing new life starting right now just gets blown off altogether. I don't even pay any attention, so I don't, I don't, I don't enter the kingdom. So literally every single thing I'm taught to do as a Christian goes out the window if I want to walk around thinking everything, everything is somebody else's fault. Conversely, to the extent that I get, oh, every pattern that happens in my relationship with Gwen or with my friends or with you guys, I was part of that transaction. And so if it didn't go right, the first thing we need to do, just like Jesus said, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? You don't see the log in your own eye. The first thing I need to do is ask myself, what was my part of that? And if I ask that question seriously, not really looking for an excuse to blame somebody else, but really ask God, God, help me understand my part of that. God would be very helpful, (laughs) very quick to help me answer that question. What could I have done differently? So let's say somebody comes to my office and their partner's had 30 affairs. Okay. Hmm. Now we can look at their partner and think, wow, that's a really bad human being. But if somebody says, Glenn, my partner's had 30 affairs, I'm thinking, okay. If I'm married to an alcoholic and they say, I need, I'm going to stop drinking on Tuesday. I say, okay, great. But they don't stop drinking on Tuesday. They keep drinking. A month later, they say to me, okay, honey, I'm going to stop drinking on Monday. Oh, great. But they don't. They keep drinking for another month. And then they say, see, at some point, yeah, they're a liar and that not following up on their word. But at some point, how crazy am I to keep assuming that that's true given everything I've seen so far? Jesus would tell the truth. Like, this doesn't make sense. I can't keep doing this. I'm, if there's not a place for me here, I'm going to have to shake the dust off my feet and move on because this doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. But they're in, a, they're in a permanent covenant relationship and they're, they're trying to do until death do us part. Right, and I believe that totally, which is why Jesus would say, right, which is why I have to stand up and say something because here's what I know. If I don't say anything because I'm being weak, then this will just keep happening to me. And, and I feel that like God is always saying these two things to me. Glenn, I totally get how you got here. Total compassion, total understanding. But I do not want you to stay here. Because our God is a God of transformation. So even if we're in a rut at the moment, God will be a very understanding, very gentle, and will insist that we get out of that rut. God will not leave us there. So if I just keep doing the same thing over and over again, because I'm afraid, just like the guy who got one talent, the master was furious at that person who didn't do something with the talent that they were given. So I can't keep having this thing happen that I see is not working, not do anything about it and think somehow I'm being a Christian. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Take a little break. When we come back, lots more with Dr. Glenn Pickering. We're talking about choosing forgiveness, talking about the obstacles to forgiveness, and we're going to come back and talk about the steps to forgiveness. If you go to drglennpickering.com, you can not only learn more about Glenn and his books and his seminars and his counseling, but he's got his notes from today's talk already up available under the About tab. Just scroll down to Media, and there it is. He also has a lovely offer. If you'd like to have a free 20-minute consultation with him, no strings attached. All you do is fill out the form, and he will contact you, and you can get that taken care of. We'll take a short break and be right back with more.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. All right, we're back with Dr. Glenn Pickering. We're talking about choosing forgiveness. And I would say, Rosie, we got in the weeds a little bit with Glenn during the break. We did. <laughs> yeah. We did. And I cause... thought we both had some observations for him, which he had answers for. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's so like him. He's really good at what he does. Yeah. Uh, so what okay. was your point? Because I'd like you to repeat that. Well, we had so many, but I think the point that often uh, occurs to me with talking to girlfriends is that to end the behavior that it might be existing in the relationship, the real truth is that they would rather have it go on because to end it means that they have to put down boundaries for themselves, and it's really an indication of a lack of self-love. Right. And so getting to that root first, sometimes I feel like you have to understand why you're existing in something that's so unhealthy, and it usually comes back to a not necessarily a pretty root in our own accountability. Right. I, um, I was talking at the break about Mal- Malachi 3.3 when it talks about, you know, the refiner's fire. And I'm just saying this thing I think about a lot, about how if I take a lump of gold with some impurities in it and I put it through the refiner's fire, nothing happens to the gold. Just all the impurities get burned off. And when we become that new creation in Christ, the gold, we don't get rid of the gold. So when Jesus said you have to die yourself, it's not about getting rid of the gold. It's about getting rid of everything that gets in the way of that. Any false self, anything, any false modesty, arrogance, anything that gets in the way of the absolute truth, it's got to go. And so that couple who's one of them has 30 affairs and he keeps promising to get better and she keeps pretending to believe it. See, they're both committing the same sin. They're both acting like they believe that lie. Oh, I'll get better next week. Okay. And they both act as if that thing that they know is a lie is actually the truth. And I just think Jesus speaks the truth everywhere he goes. And sometimes it's a pleasant truth and sometimes it's a pretty in-your-face truth. But he just tells the truth. And he would say to those people, you are both committing the same sin. You're both lying. You're both pretending things are going to get better when they're not. What are you going to do? How are you going to become your new self and not just this old self that you keep dragging around? What are you going to do to burn up all the stuff that keeps you stuck in this place? Because the one thing our transformational God does not want is for me to be stuck in my same place. I feel like he's always saying these two things to me. Glenn, I love you as you are, and I insist that you change. And those are both true. So anytime God encounters anybody who's stuck in an old pattern and they just keep doing that same pattern over and over again, he's going to say the same thing to them. I love you as you are, and I insist that you change. You cannot keep doing this. It is, this is not your best self. You are not becoming the new creation that I have in mind for you. Have you ever met anybody who is that piece of gold with all the impurities burned off? Well, besides myself. You besides mean? you? Yeah, I mean, can you think of anybody else, Glenn? <laughs> We're in process. That's sanctification, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So although it's a wonderful idea, I think it's, do we, we don't understand it on this side of eternity, do we? Well, I think we get a clearer and clearer understanding. So for example, um, when we're young, we just think our way is the right way. But then we get a little older and we realize, no, there are parts of my character that don't actually work very well. Mm-hmm. There are parts of the things I do that if I was kind of taken for granted, which I realize now are kind of hurtful. And as I get older, I think we're supposed to get more humble. Not humble like low self-esteem like the world talks about it, but humble like in a biblical sense, like just standing in the truth. I get it. I see my strengths. I see my weaknesses. And I claim them both honestly. Like, yep, I see that. And I want to start working on those things that are not right in my life. So it's an ongoing process. And I don't know that we ever get it exactly right. Mm-hmm. 
But I do think part of what's supposed to happen as we get older and older and wiser and wiser is we get better and better at learning from our mistakes, figuring out a better way to do it next time. So, I appreciate the humility comment. Yeah. Honestly, I think if we want to serve the Lord, we're going to want to try to have that posture be right. what's at the front of our thinking. Exactly. Because if I'm not, I'm unteachable. Exactly. We were talking about that earlier, Rosie uh-huh. and I were. Right. Yeah. But it's like Paul says, you know, I have a kind of a, a low opinion of me and I have a low opinion of your opinion of me. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter right. what I think. Right. Uh, and it doesn't matter what you think about me. Right. I've got a mission. Right. Exactly. That's what I think, too. And so we get all caught up in that false stuff instead of really focusing on what are my gifts? What is my call? How am I supposed to use those gifts to help other people? Is there anything in my life that's getting in the way? Am I doing that? And we need to be just dead honest and invite God to be dead honest with us about what those things might be. Mm-hmm. And then I quit blaming everybody else and I start to look at my own stuff. And that's that's what I mean. That's where transformation starts. Early on in my marriage, I was at a retreat center just outside of Mundelein, Chicago, Illinois. And um, it wasn't going very well with me and Gwen. I was praying and praying and praying about how I could talk to Gwen about the things she did that were hurtful to me. And I didn't get an answer. It didn't get an answer. It didn't get an answer really at all. And finally I realized... I'm asking the wrong question. What are the things I need to do to be a better husband? And boy, did God have answers for that question. Mm. <laughs> it just starts with ourselves. If we want to see a change in a relationship, we have to ask ourselves, what's my part of what's not going right? What do I need to do to change that? And how could God help me do that? And if that's not our posture, we're not going anywhere. And that's one of the lines I think I've memorized from your book on TAG, and mm. that is in a relationship you can say, what is it about my behavior that has contributed to our issue that right. we're having? Exactly. That's so invitational. Right. It's not defensive. No. It's, mm-hmm. I'm very likely at fault in your eyes. Right. And I would love to hear what I've been doing or what right. I've been saying or how I've been treating you that is contributing to our issue. Right. Like just the other day, um, I said something. I could see Gwen look sort of like hurt and she responded in a bit of a defensive way. And I said, honey, if I said whatever I said in a way that sounded critical to you or judgmental, I apologize for that. Because she wouldn't have that reaction if I had said something that came across as critical to her. Now, maybe I was being critical and maybe it just sounded that way to her, but it doesn't matter. Either way, mm-hmm. that's how it affected her, and I want to apologize for having affected her in that way. And I could say, well, you're just too sensitive, blah, blah, blah. Like all that worldly thinking, blame somebody else. Or we could just really ask ourselves, what did I do that brought about that result? And if we're humble and we get the 50-50 thing, then we're so coachable, we're so teachable, and God is like, yes, now I can teach you all the other things you need to learn. It sounds like you signed up for a free 20-minute consultation with yourself. <laughs> yeah, I argue with myself, but yeah. the problem is I, I usually lose those arguments. I don't know how that happens. All mm-hmm. right. All right, so um, we're going to start with ourselves. Everything's right. 50-50. Yep. And we're going to look at the log in our own eye. Right. Which is why so often if we get in trouble, we want to blame the other person. But Jesus really says, you know, why do you see this back in their eye? First, see this log in your own eye. So if I'm in any kind of a troubled relationship with anybody, it's probably real easy for me to nurse a grudge, see everything they did wrong. And it might even be true. So it's not that I'm lying. It's that I'm not seeing the rest of that picture, the other half of that, and to ask myself, what was my part of that? And Jesus is so clear, unless I start from that end, there's no resolution. So, if I come to the other person and say, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, see, they're going to get defensive, we're going to start playing tag, and when does that get to resolution? Never. Or could come to the other person and say, you know, I feel bad about our interaction, I think the part I contributed was X, Y, or Z, and I'm really sorry for that. 
Oh, see, we might now have a really transformationally different conversation, which we for sure wouldn't have had if I started off in that attack mode trying to point out to them what they did wrong. And I promise both people want it. Uh-huh. Right? right? I, I, it's so true to me. Deep we, down, they want that. We so powerfully want to live in right relationship with one another. I mean, we have this like literal need, a God-created need in us to be connected to God and to other people. So mm-hmm. that's why Jesus said, you know, if, if your brother's hurt you, you go talk to your brother about it, and he hears you, you've gained a brother. He just wants us to be clear. The goal of talking to each other about this is not to prove that I'm right and you're wrong or any of that craziness. It's to be back in right relationship with that person. And if I really get that's the goal, that's why I take humility route. That's why I want to talk about myself first because I'm just trying to really be clear in my mind. I'm doing this because I want my brother or sister back. And whatever I did that got in the way of that, I want to take full responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. All right, what about forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? Right, I, that's part of why I think, yeah, we really have to start with ourselves, whether you read the part about the log in our own eye, or even when Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It really starts with us. First, we have to acknowledge ours. You know, Leo Bascoglio used to say, I can't give away what I don't have. So until I've accepted my forgiveness... I can't forgive anybody else. And if I'm going to accept my forgiveness, that means first I have to understand my sin and be repentant, and then I, then I receive the forgiveness for that. So I am, if I'm pretending I didn't do anything wrong, I can never receive forgiveness, which means I don't have that gift to give. So I'm never going to forgive somebody else if I haven't first acknowledged my own struggles. Mm-hmm. Never going to work. Glenn, before we move on, yeah. and we're doing great so far, let me just okay. inter- interject with a, a listener question. Great. Um, I would like to discuss the forgive and forget saying. Um, great. Forgive means I'm done carrying that around. Now, it doesn't mean I, f- I mean, that's what it means to forget. Forget, not forget means I don't forget that that happened. So I don't want to dwell on it and I don't want to nurse that grudge. But if that person says, okay, I'm really sorry for the affair, I'll never do that again, I'm taking steps, and then a week later they're back in the same place, I can forgive them, and I don't have to be all torn up inside and turmoil about it. But I also need to remember, hey, this is starting to look like a pattern to me. This doesn't look like something that just happened. This starts to look like a pattern. We need to take a really careful look at this, because if we don't break a pattern, it just keeps going. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to pretend it didn't happen. Letting go of it, being at peace, doesn't mean I suddenly lose my memory. I have those memories for a reason. Mm-hmm. Keep me out of trouble. <laughs> but the forget part, might that be tied to, I will not bring this up again. This is oh, something right, right, in right, my past, right, and right, we can right. say, right. I won't if, bring it up. Right. If there's a one-time event, it was hurtful, we went through it, we forgave each other for each of us how we contributed to that, and we really feel like, yep, we got resolution in that, that's great, then that topic shouldn't come up again. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about steps, the steps to forgiveness. Great. This is an important piece of this discussion today. Right. Whenever I have people in a seminar or clients in my office, and I can tell that forgiveness is an issue that needs to get talked about, I want to walk them through these seven steps. And it's really important to understand, I'm not going to start by telling the person, oh, they've hurt me. Remember, because it always starts with myself. If there's a pattern that's been going on between me and Gwen, or me and anybody else, it doesn't matter. I'm going to start by asking them to forgive me for whatever my part of that was. 
If I can't start there, we don't have a place to start. We just really need to understand that humility, 50-50, log in your own eye, I have to start with acknowledging, hey, I was part of that, and I'm really sorry for my part. So if we can't start there, we're not going anywhere. So we just have to be really clear about that. So let's say, for example, well, you know, I'm someone on the autism spectrum, and one of the things I see with those of us who are is we can be really abrupt in ways that can be hurtful to other people when we think we're just being factual or keeping it simple. Um, and so seven steps to forgiveness. Number one is I would come to my wife going and say, going, I'm, I ask your forgiveness for all those times I've been too abrupt. So I've, number one is I ask your forgiveness for, and then I name that general category because I want her to understand that I understand this hasn't been a one-time event. This has been a pattern of mine that I find to kind of see clearly that God has kind of shown me. I say, oh, man, okay. And then my second sentence is going to be, for example, and then I'm going to give her a specific instance so she can tell that I actually get it. Because let's say sometimes she says, Glenn, you're just too sarcastic. And I say, come back to her and say, honey, I'm really asking your forgiveness for all the times I'm too sarcastic. She might think, you know, Glenn knows what he's talking about. Or she might think he's just mimicking the words I've said. He probably has no idea what that means. So she can't tell if it's sincere or not. So the second step is to say, for example, I'm really, I really feel bad. I'd ask you a forgiveness for that thing that happened yesterday. You came and asked me for my help. And I said, you know, you just asked me, hey, Glenn, can you help me? I said, yep. Like that. That sort of abrupt way that some, you know, those of us in the spectrum can have if we're not careful. Instead of saying, honey, I'd be glad to help you. Give me one minute and I'll be right there. That's what I actually thought. That's what I actually felt. That's what I should have said because that's what was actually going through my head. And it would have been loving and gentle and caring. And instead I said, yep. Well, that just comes across hurtful. And so anyway, so step number one, honey, I'd ask you a forgiveness for, and then I named the general category. Those times when I'm too abrupt. Second, I really feel bad specifically, for example, about when I just said yep to you yesterday, because I get that that's an example of my being really abrupt. So now she thinks, oh, you actually do get what I meant. <laughs> so now she's kind of listening. She wasn't until then. Third, I'm going to say, I believe my sin has hurt you in the following ways. And then I want to, because I want to really put myself in her shoes and think, okay, how does this affect Gwen? And, you know, you guys have heard me talk a lot about what I call think, feel, do, that our thinking drives our feelings and our feelings drive our behavior. So if I really want to think about, okay, how did my hurtful behavior affect Gwen? It's going to affect all those three levels. First, I said something that made her think about herself, think about herself in a negative way. That's the thought, which creates a certain... emotion in her, which then leads to a certain behavior. So I'm going to say, I'm going to give it my best thought, and I'm going to say, okay, hon, I'm really sorry. I think my sin has hurt you in the following ways. I think it probably made you think um, that you're just a bother to me, um, which then makes you feel sort of diminished, unimportant, like, you know, I don't even like having you around. And then I think how it affects your behaviors, and you kind of shut down or go away. Sometimes you lash out, nowhere near as often as you used to. Mostly you're just more likely to shut down. So I give it my best shot at that thing, feel, do. And then I say, is that accurate? And it's so important for the person who's in Gwen's shoes at that point to tell the truth. Because remember, I want to really understand how my behavior impacted you. So I'm actually apologizing for the right thing. And you can tell that I get it. So she's going to say, well, actually, you're right. It did make me think I was a bother. The feeling, maybe diminished some, but partly it just made me feel sort of hopeless, like we'll never get this thing right. And then third, it might make you, it then, yeah, it does make me sort of pull away, but mostly the effect it has on my behavior is next time I need help, then I just don't want to ask you. All right, let's take a short break. We'll be yep. right back with Dr. Glenn Pickering. Great. We're talking about obstacles to forgiveness, and now we've moved on to steps to forgiveness. Very helpful. We've got a couple more steps to, to uh, get to when we come back. 
Be right back. Dr. Glenn Pickering, and we're talking about steps to forgiveness. But boy, during the breaks, things are flying around here, all kinds of stuff. So before we get to some of the final <laughs> steps to forgiveness, Glenn, let's talk about what came up during the break. And that is sometimes people uh, apo- apologize. They don't apologize for their behavior. They apologize for the impact their behavior had on somebody. Yes. If we do the forgiveness correctly, if we don't, Gwen says, oh, honey, that hurt my feelings. You're so abrupt. Oh, I'm sorry. I was too abrupt. And then look at her like, oh, now we're done, right? And she's thinking, no. A, that's not incredibly superficial. B, you don't actually know what you're apologizing for. See, it's really important to understand. We don't apologize for our behavior. We apologize for the impact that my behavior had on somebody. So, for example, um, I have people in my family who are a lot like me. So I could say, yep, to one of them. And they think, okay, great. But it wouldn't <laughs> affect them because uh-huh. they think that same way. Hey, can you guys come over on Friday at 2 o'clock instead of 3 o'clock because we've got a couple other things happening? Oh, yep. Oh, great. Okay, see you at 3. I mean, honestly, that would be the conversation because they think so, and act the same way, so it wouldn't hurt them. So I'm not going to go back then and apologize and say, oh, I'm so sorry I was so abrupt because they're going to think, what are you talking about? I mean, because it didn't affect them. Mm-hmm. But that same behavior with my loving wife who says, honey, can you help me? Yep. Well, that's going to be hurtful to her. Partly because she doesn't operate that way and partly because we have a different kind of relationship, hopefully. Um, so it's important to understand this is why I say my, this is what I'm sorry for, the general category, specific things so Gwen can tell I get it. And then I'm going to say, here's how I think it affected you. Is that right? And just before we went to break, I was saying then it's Gwen's turn to say, yeah, that's kind of right, but it's more like this. Yes, it felt like a bother. Also, that makes me feel hopeless. And you're right, it does kind of make me withdraw, but the the withdrawal is not just they shut down then. It's that next time I need help, I don't ask you. Oh, okay. And now that I get that that's what I actually did with her, then I say, I'm so sorry to have hurt you in that way. And now she can tell, I actually get it. I actually mean it because I actually get what happened to her. Now, so we need to understand when we're apologizing, oh, I'm sorry I did that is meaningless, utterly, absolutely meaningless. And nobody who hears that will think, okay, we're done now. Nobody who hears that will think, okay, I can tell you get it. They will just think, you just don't want to have this conversation. Oh, honey, that really hurt me. Okay, well, sorry. That's not a way of apologizing. That's a way of saying, I just want to be done with this conversation. This is uncomfortable. I don't even want to admit I did something wrong, so just say sorry and move on like nothing really happened, except something did happen My he got hurt. And I need to claim that that happened. Mm-hmm. All right, Glenn, we've got a few steps to forgiveness right, so, remaining. Yeah, so the last couple. So once Gwen clarifies, I say, honey, I'm really, really sorry. And then I say, will you forgive me? Not do you, because forgiveness is a process. God forgives us instantly, but as humans, we have a little different way. So let's say I have been sort of abrupt to Gwen a whole bunch of times over the years. I finally get that. And now she can see I get it. I'm sorry. But she has to feel all those hurts. And so now if she can say I'm sorry, so she didn't have to keep proving to me anymore that I've made that mistake, I get it now. 
Now it's her job to go to God and say, God, help me let go of this and just be at prayer every day and say, God, help me let go of this. Help me see the lens of repentance. Help me be clear about them. Help me get back to being the person I want to be. So when I say, will you forgive me? I'm saying, will you be in that process of letting this go now that you can tell I get it? And none of us do that without God's help. So I don't know how you do that without prayer. And mm-hmm. like consistently over a period of days until you feel like I'm starting to feel relieved of that. So I'm going to say, I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? Not do you, because it's not instantaneous. And if Gwen is willing, she says, yes, I will. Not I do, I will. Like I'm, I'm committing myself to that process of going to God every day in prayer. Now that I can see you get it, so I don't have to keep proving it to you. And ask God to help me get better and better at letting that go. And that will be a process too. So we just need to know that's what forgiveness actually looks like. I acknowledge it, this overall. I acknowledge a specific instance so they can see I get it. I give some serious thought to how that affected them. I give them my best shot. They fine-tune it so I really get it. Then I say, I'm sorry, because, and they can tell I get it. And they're not going to wonder if I get it, and they're not going to feel, they're not gonna feel blown off because they can tell I actually get what happened to you. That's what I'm saying I'm sorry for. And then I ask, will you forgive me because it's a process? And if they are willing, they say, yes, I will because mm-hmm. it's a process. Yeah. So you have to be prepared for them to maybe give you an answer that you're not 100% satisfied with. Like what? Well, like, um, not yet. Not yet. And and not yet would be an honest answer because sometimes it's true. Sometimes even after a person apologizes, we're still feeling so hurt that even if we know, yes, that's the right thing, I don't know if I'm quite ready yet, so I might say not yet. <laughs> and I need to see a change. Yes. I, I need to ask you again for help, and I need to hear a different response. Right. Or it's Glenn back into his same old habits. Right. Now, here's the really cool thing. This is the only thing that actually changes our behavior. So Gwen says, sometimes you two are about, oh, sorry. <laughs> hey, she just feels blown that, That's up. an abrupt response, Glenn. Yes, in fact, it is. Thank you. Um, to so, her criticism of you being too abrupt. Exactly. Yeah. I know. It's all just a little too funny. But so, um, so, but once I actually get how my behavior affected somebody, see, that's when transformation starts. Once we understand that our behavior has an effect on somebody, it changes us on the inside. That's when I actually start to change my hate by behavior down until. You know, people who had near-death experiences, you know, who died, crossed over, come back, tell us what it's like on the other side. They talk to us about that life review that we all go through, and God shows us every behavior we did and the effect it had on every person in our life. Oof. So we need to understand, when we ask for forgiveness, we're apologizing for not the behavior, but the effect it had on your life. That's what was hurtful. That's what I'm apologizing for. That's what was sinful. Like I literally made you feel less good about your own self, which is not a godly thought. Mm -hmm. This is a complicated subject, and we all probably could use some counseling and coaching when it comes to approaching someone we care about and love in forgiveness. Yep. Be mindful that it really is 50-50. We yep. have to look at the log in our own eye yep. and understand it's a process. Yep. And there's certain ways to do it well and other ways that are not going to be satisfying. Right, exactly. And I get it's uncomfortable. This is part of the humility thing. So I have to acknowledge, which is an act of humility, that there's this pattern in my life that's hurtful and that there are very specific ways in which that's been hurtful to Gwen. And I have to be open to hearing that. I have to be coachable. I have to be teachable. In that moment, see, that's what I mean. Then everything's possible. We can now create a whole new relationship. But until that moment, we're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And isn't part of the relationship that Glenn or that Gwen would be aware of with 
her husband, Glenn, which is you, <laughs> who is a little bit on the autism right. uh, scale. Is that the right word? Scale? Yep, perfect. Yeah, yeah. That if Glenn gives me an abrupt answer, that's just Glenn being Glenn. Well, so I'm not going to take it personally. There's some truth to that. And that's why it's, we need to understand it's about the impact it has on somebody else. Like I could say that probably to somebody else in my family, not get that reaction. But I get for Gwen, who is brought up feeling like she's a bother, that's going to be a trigger for her. Gotcha. And I get that. Mm-hmm. For Gwen specifically, that's a hurtful behavior. And I want to be mindful when I'm around Gwen to stop, make sure I say what I really want to say. It's a perfect example, actually, of being a second responder, not just going with my knee-jerk response. Give myself just that two seconds to make sure I'm responding in the way that I actually want to respond. I mean, if you give her an abrupt answer and you heard yourself give her an abrupt uh-huh. answer, you can literally catch yourself on right. the spot and right. say, honey, what I really mean, of course, is, exactly, and right. then it's a little playful. It's Absolutely. not, it's not so sure. serious, right? Exactly. Yeah, we do do-overs all the time. God, it makes right. sense. I know. Oh, honey, I just heard that in the back of my head. Let me, let me do that again. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's encouraging for people to right, say absolutely. you don't have to be so stuck in a serious moment. Right. Yes, it brings a little humor to it, makes yeah. it a little lighter, helps take some of this. You know, we tend to get a little too serious when people start working on relationships, and I think it's important to remember it's supposed to be fun. Right, right. Glenn, thank you so much. This has been a very helpful uh, discussion on choosing forgiveness. And if you go to uh, com, his notes from today are available there under the About tab. You just scroll down to Media. And you can download it right from uh, today's date, which is October 20th. Um, and it's uh, all laid out very nicely for you. And you can re- refer to these notes and, and think about what we talked about today and put it into practice. Glenn, thanks. Oh, you are so welcome. Thanks for having me. It's yep. always fun to be here. Yeah, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with Dr. Peter Kapster and I talking thanks about Thanks for listening. Old Testament. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.